This podcast was brought to you by Spartan Sports. This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Dunning. Matty, how are you? I'm well, Timmy. How are you? Yeah, yeah, real good, real good. Great to be back uh, doing The Running Game. Spent the weekend at Camden, three days for the uh, the, the state championships. And I'll tell you what, uh, all the organisers of the New South Wales Junior Rugby, congratulations, because it was an absolute cracker. I was only at the under-12s, but they replicated that through the ages, and um, it was a real standout. We've got a couple of really interesting... Interesting guest today, former superstar both in rugby union and rugby league, John Brass, uh, some of the best hands ever in rugby union. And Paul French, vice president of the Brothers Rugby Club, of course, former first grader, and it'll be great to have him on the show as well. Matty, one, one of the things I want to ask you is about touring the world. We see these rugby tours. Twickenham, Murrayfield, the songs, the environment. What's it like? Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible, Tim. Like it's it's every boy's dream to play for their country who plays rugby, and then to, to tour with a Wallaby side. And, and the greatest thing about playing Test rugby is you never have to worry about being pumped up. You got an anthem two minutes before before you play, so you you actually worry about keeping yourself down because as soon as you play the anthem, you're ready to run through a brick wall. And there's no better place to play rugby than you know than, than the Northern Hemisphere. They just love it. You know they they sing. They're always packed. They cheer a nine six you know victory. That they, they don't care. They just love rugby. You know and they and they're staying. Stadiums are magnificent, you know, uh, Cardiff, Millennium, the old Carter Farms Park, you know, Stade Francais in, in Paris. There's so many great stadiums. And then Twickenham in England, in, in London, is is amazing. I always loved the games in, in Twickenham because you always had a three o'clock start, so it meant you to go out that night for a good night. Um, and the crowd are just so into it. You, you rock. I, I still remember rocking up in the bus, and there's just people outside the bus singing, and you just knew you were ready to play. And and you'd walk through the the, the off the bus, and everything was just it was just like silver service everywhere at Twickenham. It, you know, cleaner than most people's houses. You're walking through the tunnel to the change room, and it's just an amazing atmosphere on the pitch. And then you know, to win over there is extraordinary. And and then you get then you get to celebrate that win with massive big bars in the change rooms and everyone's you know drinking champagne and drinking beer and having a bath instead of a shower. It's an incredible place to play rugby and you know I, I love touring. I, probably a bit bit too much on occasion, but I, I love touring definitely the UK. Yeah, absolutely love it. I do want to ask you down the track about touring France because there were you had a problem with France because the game started a bit late. That meant you got to the pub a bit later, but uh, that's for another day. Well, that, that, the game didn't start till nine o'clock at night. Like you wouldn't get out of the sheds till midnight. It sort of made it a bit difficult, but we, we made up for it. Yeah, sure. A bit of Beaujolais, a bit of baguette and cheese. <laughs> All right, uh, this is the running game. Coming up next, John Brass, an absolute legend of both codes, rugby union and rugby league. Well, one of the players, and I remember him well, uh, more maybe for the rugby league because of my generation when he played in both the 74 and 75 grand finals for the Roosters and, of course, a very proud and uh, a superstar of the mighty red, white and Bluesters. But, of course, 12 uh, tests for the Wallabies. Uh, I speak none other than John Brass. How are you, John? Very well, thank you. 
Yeah, great to be have you on the show, John. Um, our show covers all, all levels of rugby, especially grassroots. Would love to hear your grassroots story. Obviously, you play with Randwick, but how did you start in the Sydney Boy High and before there? What's your story with Rugby Union? Oh, basically in Coogee, man. I was uh, living in Coogee and played for the, the club South Coogee. There was it wasn't one of the first uh, first teams they ever uh, as an emerging club. Uh, then went to Sydney High and uh, we had a bit of success there. And then uh, my my ambition was pretty much to uh, play. I used to go down and watch Randwick a lot because I lived near the Oval there. I used to uh, dream of playing one game with Ken Catchpole. Ended up doing a few, quite a few games with him. So that was pretty much the story. Yeah, and and that 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 was a mighty Randwick side, wasn't it? In the late sixties, couple of premierships. It, it was, and you know, we had I think at one stage we had uh, fourteen of the fifteen players that played for New South Wales, so it was a very strong team. And the story in those days was, you know, if Randwick was strong, New South Wales was strong, Australian rugby was very strong. Uh, interesting, no uh, guys when you talk about coming on and being remembered. As a mate of mine was down at Randwick just recently, in the name. Ken Catchpole came up and one of the young guys in the group he was talking to said, well, who's Ken Catchpole? So it's right. nice to be remembered. Now, look, Ken Catchpole, I never saw Ken play but heard the stories. My father was a massive fan. And I guess, you know, you've, you've mentioned Ken's name. What, what made Ken so special? You know, he was so small when I, I saw him when he was older, but what made Ken such a player he was re- revered for? Oh, his ability to read the game. He also had an, an unbelievable athletic ability. He, he could run forever, so he sort of never got tired. Uh, and he was one of those guys. Now you, you, you've met them all when we played. But he just loved winning. He was, he, you know, everything he did was about winning, not in a nasty or aggressive way at all. In fact, quite the opposite. But you know, he had that uh, sort of very uh, uh, undercurrent of, of uh, wanting to win all the time. What What was it like when you had your dream of playing for Randwick and eventually played for the Wallabies? And you played here and you went on a tour overseas. What every, everyone has their own. A way of describing what that's like. Obviously, I don't because I never did it. But what was it like? Well, it all happens a bit surreal, I think, Kim. You know, it, it happened very quickly. I was only 19 when I first played for Australia. Um, I played a couple of years at Randwick, um, and it, it just happened so very quickly. And we had a very, you know, very long trip then in, uh, to the British Isles, a four and a half months for a way. And uh, I played all the tests during that tour. And um, it, it, it was just, as I said, surreal. You know, we're playing in front of 50,000, 60,000 people and, and getting a dollar a day in those days. That was the allowance doing a purely amateur game. Um, and I think that's one of the issues of the game today. You know, the, 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 the lure of the, the London and Paris things uh, to, to playing rugby and travelling around the world is no longer really relevant to what these guys go through today because they they're doing it all anyway. And you talked about those tours, John. Obviously, I'll- you know, they were immensely long tours and it wasn't just about Test Rugby. What do you remember about those tours that made them so special and, and the squad mentality and, and what made them, that the, the, everyone talks about them today, how great they were? Oh, exactly what you're saying, right? the, the squad mentality was sensational. I'd be still there if I could. I turned 20 the day we left and as I said, we're away for four and a half. <laughs> We're away for four and a half months. I was one of the only, I think there were two of us being paid. Uh, I was working for A&P at the time and they had the history of another guy playing in the Wallabies who was paid. So I got paid not a lot of money because I was only 20 years of age. But uh, you know, a lot of the guys were uh, solicitors and, and, and had high-paying jobs and they had to take a lot of time off at a, at a great expense. But you know, the memories are just unbelievable. And we still have reunions now. Dick Marks, who was on that team, one of the great Wallaby players, uh, organises most of the reunions. And it, it's just like yesterday when you catch up with those guys. Uh, Matty, if any two of you have been away, and you know, you know, even if it's a short tour, there's still a camaraderie. They've had a fair bit of success. 
Uh, we won two of the five tests. We beat England and Wales, which is the, the mountains for us in those days. Um, and you're playing in front of 60,000 people uh, in the test matches. And I vividly remember the, the Barbarian game on that tour where we'd been away for four months just before we went to France for the last game of the tour. And um, we're a pretty popular team because we lost a few games. And um, <laughs> they, they, they printed Walsing Matilda in, in, the, in the program uh, at Carter Farms, then Carter Farms Park. And we had 60,000 people singing Walsing Matilda, which is uh, one of my great memories of, of rugby. Wow, that's that's amazing. What what about the game now? Uh, it's had its challenges. It it appears from where I'm looking at it that it, it may have turned the corner. The Cabri sponsorship, the stand deal, uh, and I'm talking specifically about rugby in this country. Obviously, there's still some fractures that need to be repaired. What about through your eyes, John? Well, I think we've got unique problems, guys. I think you know we, we, the rest of the world doesn't have have AFL and doesn't have NRL. And uh, we've obviously got some unique problems. And I, I just question whether we're handling those problems correctly. You know, money these days solves all problems. And, and I know there are a lot of groups running around. There's a bit Pat Worth, Alan Jones group, the Wallaby Captains group, all very well-meaning groups trying to promote rugby and, and make it a better game. Um, but nobody seems to be coordinating uh, these, the, you know, these various groups. They're almost invisible groups. Uh, nobody seems to be able to coordinate them to a cohesive approach to the problem solving. And we've all got different views of what the problems are. But from my point of view, I think there's got to be some more money coming to the game somehow. Uh, at the moment, the money's all at the top and everybody talks about that. You know, I think you had Ben Mowen on, which I was very interested to listen to Ben talk about uh, his East experience last year. Um, but, the, the, yeah, if, if, if in club rugby, for instance, you're trying to win and club rugby objectives are to win the game and obviously to make the players better players. But as soon as you make them better players, they, they tend to head overseas or turn professional. And East, where Ben was captain last year and did a fabulous job in the Brisbane competition, they, they won the competition last year and they lost their first seven games this year because of the player drone. There's another club up here, uh, GPS, who won about three or four years ago, won the, won the competition. Their three-quarter line was in Japan the next year. So you've got these... Problems at grassroots level, which it's been touched on, I think the money all going to the top is a real problem. To me, it needs money. Somehow you've got to find some money, particularly uh, when everybody talks about grassroots level, I think more about the player recruitment level. I don't think there's anywhere near enough emphasis on player recruitment. You know, when you go to, you do go to some of the GPS or secondary school games, and, and the crowd's talking about, oh, number 10's going to the Broncos next year, or number, number 12's going to play with Canberra. There's very little talk about any of the players going to rugby. And to me, somewhere there's a dearth of, of approach to these younger players. And, and when you say a dearth of approach to them, that's obviously uh, somehow there's got to be some money put into that area. And, and John, I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you that, that the same problem in Sydney, you know, we lose so many quality players to rugby league and it, it you know, it, it's an ongoing thing. But um, I guess the players we do have at that elite level, uh, I know the, the trans-Tasman, everyone's talking about that being poor and I, I, I don't think the same. Like, I, I think we, it's no different than before. We just got five Australian teams and five you know, Kiwi teams where years ago we had three Australian teams and five Kiwi teams and two were strong. I, I think we've still got a good player, you know, at the top level. How do you think our level of stocks are at the top level? I think at the top level, they're great. I think uh, Dave Rennie was saying with the, with the Scottish pick, you know, we've probably got you know, a nucleus of good players. We don't have a, a, a B team and a C team, uh, but our A team, I think, can be very competitive. I mean, these guys, you know, the All Blacks we always talk about, they're not bigger, faster, stronger or better athletes than we are. 
Um, so there's no reason we can't be competitive. Um, my take on that is, and I was interesting talking to Alec Evans about it just the other day, the great you know, Ford coach, and Alec said that the difference he seems to think is that they execute that the fundamentals far better than we do, and, and particularly when they're under pressure. Um, but in saying, as I said, they're not bigger, stronger, or faster, or better athletes than us, so there's no reason we can't be competitive with them. What was uh, it like when you made the decision to go to rugby league and, and, and you had a glorious career with the Roosters and I have to highlight that because one of the people uh, very much involved in our podcast and, and the platform that we put together is a mad Roosters supporter. But what, what, was, it, what was it like for you? Well, it, it was very interesting. I mean, most people think because rugby was very amateur those days. I mentioned the dollar a day for you know, four and a half months were away. Um, but to be totally honest, guys, I got sick of losing at the Wallaby level. Um, and and that was one of the reasons I, I went. Uh, the other reason was basically to climb another mountain because I had a lot of success at you know, Wallaby level. And there was this, you know, you go to a, play a test match against Ireland, go to the pub on Monday night, and all they were talking about was West Plains and George. They didn't have the respect in those days, so there, there was certainly another mountain in their view. And the third reason was the money. But as I said, the main reason, and I think this could be relevant to some of the players today, is that is that. Uh, I just got sick of losing. I playing for Randwick was, you know, we won every week pretty much. And you get picked in the Wallaby team and, and I think I won three or twelve tests. A lot of people don't probably don't remember, but uh, my father tells me stories of, you know, of Wallabies going to league and then how that was received by, you know, the rugby community and coming back into rugby was difficult. Did you how was your sort of experience with that and then coming back into rugby if you did when you sort of finished league? Yeah, I never had it publicly. And, and interestingly, at Randwick, you know, I was a member of Randwick Rugby Club and they, they had a, yeah, under their articles of association, and professional players, I, I couldn't be a member of the club anymore. <laughs> All my mates were down there and I'd go into the club and have a drink with them, but um, I couldn't be formally be a member. And yet, ironically, when I first went to East, they had a bit of a night, Marilyn Carty and myself went uh, the same year and uh, they had a bit of a night at reception for us and a few drinks and the Leagues Club closed at 11 o'clock and most of the guys said, well, where are we going to go for a drink? I said, well, I know we can get a drink. We can get in a Randwick. So I remember taking half the Eastern <laughs> Southern League team down there, down a Randwick. Well, Kev, the great Kevin Janou was with us and he was very pleased to meet Ken Catchpole, who was in the bar that night. Oh, that's a great story. And then, look, uh, you've gone on to, to, to do so many things. Uh, of course, you're on the NRL Commission. Uh, you worked a lot inside that whole supermarket framework in management. But also in Rugby Union, um, you, you had quite a bit to do with the coaching at the Reds when there was some uh, just some little-known names like Horan and Little there. <laughs> yeah, they were great years. I first got involved when I worked in shopping down in Wollongong and uh, long story Bob Dwyer, I had a friend down there. I, ended up, I coached the Winona Shamrocks there for a year. Then I uh, went up to Brisbane and uh, I coached the GPS team with uh, Chris Carby was the main coach. And that was the time when they first brought in sort of two coaches. So this was the mid-80s and I was a back coach. We had a bit of success there and... Uh, Bob Templeton then asked me to come down and do the Reds. And I, the first year, we didn't have much success. But the second year, um, I was there. In comes Hall and Little. And uh, I think the back line was Slattery, Liner, Hall and Little. And Greg Martin was fullback. So it was a very good team. And I must admit, my, my, my coaching legacy goes back to the great Jack Gibson days, who I was an enormous admirer of. And I remember Jack saying, one of your main jobs is not to throw them out of gear. You know, don't make them any worse. So it was pretty... Uh, it wasn't a difficult job to coach those guys. It was more giving them challenges. And in, and in your time, when you, was Jack Gibson the best coach you, 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 you had or were there other coaches that you had in rugby and rugby league who were, who were on par? Oh, 
oh, by streets. Um, Jack, yeah. yeah, and then Jack is Jack is the forerunner of, of um, most of the coaches today, going down to the Bennetts and the and the and the uh, yeah all the coaches from today. Uh, they're all. In fact, I ran into Paul Green, who coached unfortunately the, the um, Queensland team the other night in the state of origin only last year, and he oh. Jack's game came, name came up, and he he pulled me aside. And said, "What what was so good about him? What made him great?" And, my answer is pretty much his people management. You know, he didn't, and the other thing that I think it's relevant even to how we coach rugby these days, uh, he was very conscious of not overcoaching. Uh, you know, did the, and, and, and he was a disciple of that, making sure you don't overcoach guys. And, and as in his words, the great man would say, "Don't throw them out of gear." Yeah, what a what a great what a great line. Of course, he was he was the man that sort of brought Nautilus and the weights in, and and you guys won that seventy four seventy five. John, it's been an absolute treat to have you on the running game. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Coming up on the running game, of course, he's just been made a life member of the Brothers Club in Brisbane. Paul French. Are we seeing the emergence of a new asset class in the sports sector? How was the breakaway football super league to be financed? How much was that private equity investment into volleyball? What are investors' plans for Davis Cup tennis? I'm Reese Lenarduzzi, the head of advisory at Athlon Partners, a global fund and corporate advisory firm specialising in the investment and acquisition of sports organisations and sports assets. I'm also host of the all-new podcast, Sportonomic. Join me as I speak to industry experts, athletes, stakeholders and other key players to uncover the curtain engine and machinations of sport. Each week, I venture beyond the mere headlines and into the depths of the issues surrounding sports business, sports law, sports economics and finance. Find us on your favourite podcast app. Sportonomic, sponsored by Athlon Partners. Come find out about the emerging universe of sports capital at athlonpartners.com. Well, it is time to talk grassroots rugby union, and they are no more passionate than they are in Brisbane, are they, Matt, when it comes to rugby union? And and some of the great clubs uh, of Australian rugby are in Brisbane, like Brothers. No, definitely, Tim. Brothers is a a great club and uh, been very strong for many years. And we got uh, one of the first premiership winners in 89 with us, Paul French. Uh, I believe you won that grand final single-handedly and scored a 95-metre tr- try. Is my is my research correct, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got to correct you on one point. It was uh, 87 was the uh, oh. that you're talking about. Tell us about 87, Paul. 87 was, uh, well, it was a year at the club where um, we had a number of internationals and um, we uh, were... Uh, struggling in the first part of the year. And we got to a point, our coach was John Connolly, who went on to greater things. And we got towards the end of the season and we all sat down together and we had uh, uh, three games to go. We were outside the finals and we could not lose another game. We needed to win the last three plus the five team semis to go right through the knockouts. And uh, we started with a game at East. Uh, we, we drew nine all, so we didn't lose. So we were still in it with a sniff. And we got through all the rest of the games and won the final against Souths at, uh, at Ballymore. Wow. It was a sensational, sensational year. You mentioned, obviously, Knuckles. I've been coached by Knuckles, and uh, he's a, he loves a, a practical joke. But you also mentioned some Wallabies you had in that team. And from my understanding, it was a bit of a star-studded team. Can you, you name a few of the guys that played in that team with you? 
Um, we had uh, Mark McBain, uh, captain and hooker. We had Rod McCall, supremo in the in the lineout at uh, in in the second row at block. Um, we had uh, Ron Ross Hanley um, in the backs with Peter Grigg on the wing, and I think that might be about it for that year. I hope I've missed someone, but uh, no. yeah, we had four in that final. And how was how how was Knuckles a coach in those days? How how was he obviously the start of his career? He he'd coached a couple of uh, second grade sides, etc. That was his first first grade year, and he really um, you know took us to another level. You know, we wouldn't. You know, we we won it because of his preparation and his uh, intensity and just his uh, his approach, and uh, he got us across the line. and And you know, that sort of spurred him on to uh, bigger and better things. and And you know, his career that he's gone on to from there. Sadly, I never had the opportunity to play rugby union. It was very much rugby league where I grew up, and that's all we ever played. But I've uh, I've enjoyed following it, watching it, covering it, and now my boys play and I've just come off the state championships last weekend and I really love the sense of camaraderie at club level now he plays for Eastwood you've been a long-term uh you know person for brothers sort of held every role you currently volunteer tell us about the magic of club rugby uh well the magic of club rugby I think um you know there was a, a guy a couple of years ago at our club um who was president at the time Hans Pearson and he put together a video um, which just individual interviews with uh, 50 or more club stalwarts and um, right through. And it just was amazing the amount of um, emotion that poured out of that, that whole process. And it's, it's something that, you know, a lot of clubs have got it, but brothers are, are right up there, I would suggest. You know, we've got, um, you know, on game days, we've got Wallabies and, state players and guys that have been in the club for 50 and 60 years still working in the can shop and on the barbecue. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people just put their hand up and get involved in, in club land. And, and it's, it's, it's a real place to be a men's shed. Some of us call it and, um, and uh, we love it. And, and we're trying to instill that in the next generations too. Um, it's a little bit harder with, uh, all the different distractions that kids and young men have these days. But, um, you know, I think they get a sense of it you know, because there's so many of us, of us still involved in the club. It's great to hear that passion about uh, grassroots rugby. It's, we're all about that. And it's, it's um, we're, we're, we're hearing similar things every week when we get people on about grassroots. I guess, you know, our grassroots game is uh, there's, there's a lot of passionate people out there. How do you think uh, that grassroots, that connection with the game in in total, is going? How do you think we're are we getting it right in Australian rugby with grassroots and and, and the I guess the collective game higher up? Um, you know, there's uh, there's a, there's a couple of different opinions there. Um, you know, over the last ten or more years, in particular, we've um, you know, we've we've had some disconnects, no doubt, and uh, and some headbutting with um, the elite part of the game. You know, we looking back uh, a number of years ago, there was money flowing down from the from Rugby Australia or, or ARU in those days, and the QRU, etc., to the clubs, and uh, and now it seems to be well, it's been for quite a while now. The clubs have had to build their own platforms and 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 become more sustainable and stronger and and, uh, and fight for their own survivals, which a lot of us have um, over the last few years. And, and we're starting to you know, see the rewards of a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, focus and, 
But, yeah, we're all working on our own to some degree, uh, but it seems to be turning the corner and, and I think there's glimpses of uh, a little bit more connection. And and that mention uh, before about some of the, the modern challenges of getting young people involved, it's, it's, it's worth the challenge, isn't it, Paul? Because one of the things about sport and rugby in particular, it promotes conversation. It promotes men talking. And, and, and one of the big areas of concern as a society is men's mental health, so to speak. We, 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 we've come a long, long way in getting that right and getting people to talk about their issues. But rugby union's one game with this such a great sense of community that, that you have ears to bend. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a different um, – I, I don't know if it's the, uh, the established route for mental health and, and looking after your mates and all that sort of thing because, as you know, rugby clubs – it's all about uh, putting everyone down and bashing everyone. And, 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 but at the end of the day, it's a formula that just works so well. Um, you know, we have so many good times of putting, um, yeah, whatever on each other. And, uh, and it's just you've you, you got thick skin, you know everyone. Um, it's a great place to be. And, and I think it does help uh, people survive all the problems and issues in life these days. Yeah, it's a circuit, It's a real circuit breaker. That's the thing. That's the point I was making. It's a real circuit breaker in the sense of you may not, uh, you know, sit down there and talk to someone for an hour about their issues, but being a part of that club, being a part of the sport, being a part of the structure is is a circuit breaker that many people need. Oh, absolutely. You know, there are lots of examples. There's a, there's a couple of guys down there that uh, – get us together once a year and tell their stories, you know, how they were down and out and, and really feeling like there was nothing left for them. And, uh, you know, a couple of, and, you know, t- there's a guy like Tony Shaw in the club, uh, you know, Wallaby, Wallaby captain, you know, one of the greats of the game. And, and uh, you know, he genuinely has dragged people down the club to get them and slap them around and, and, and bring them back. And in that, that's what it's all about, you know, so, there's lots of survivors, survivors and stories. Couldn't agree more. Paul, if, 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 if Eddie Jones or any of my coaches weren't putting shit on me, I knew I wasn't going to be picked the next week. You know, it's, uh, it's, what we're, it's how we're based, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all part of the fun. And uh, Brothers is a club. Uh, how, how's the strength in the club at the moment? I know, you know, obviously rug, rugby in, in Queensland must have got a massive injection, I would have thought, after after your, uh, your final win in the Super Rugby. Is that, are you seeing that in, in, the, in the club game, that rugby's getting, uh, you know, more, more interest and people are enjoying it and his, his brothers are doing well because of it? Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm not trying to advertise brothers here, but it's the most <laughs> picturesque rugby ground in the world. It's um, where one or two points off the top of the club championship table at the moment. Uh, and we've won it the last three years in a row. So we want to try and retain that position um, where a point or two outside of the four at the moment in, uh, in a grade, but really strong right throughout the grades and the, uh, and the Colts. Uh, we won all three Colts finals last year, which is the first time ever for the club in 116 year history. Um, so, so we've got a lot of things to be proud about and a lot of things to build on and, and you know, continue to try and stay at the top. We've got uh, eight, nine, ten, depending on who you count, uh, Reds um, in the Reds this year, four just named in the Wallabies um, team to, to train on for, for the France tests. 
So we're hoping to get the other five or six back uh, for the next few weeks and, um, and, and make the finals and, and take it from there. Finally, Paul, if you had to prioritise, and this may be difficult, we might upset some people here, but in, in, in the Paul French life, where, where does Brothers Rugby Club sit? <laughs> uh, well, it's not, it's not just me. It's, it's obviously family comes first. I'm a very family sort of uh, focused guy, but um, my whole family at all generations, um, you know, have always been part of Brothers, will always be part of Brothers. I've got three daughters and, um, you know, they're as big a part of the club and support the club as much as anyone. Um, it's it's just a great feeling. So Brothers is an enormous part of my life. All my mates, uh, you name it, uh, it's, uh, that's what it is. And it's a, it's a place that, you know, we've talked a lot about the uh, – the boys and the and the and the and the top grade, but you know we've now got twenty three hundred registered players, twelve hundred of which are female, um, wow. right through you know the fifteen aside game, the sevens, the touch, uh, right down to the girls, and um, you know there's just so many things. There's MRP, the modified rugby program for the intellectually um, uh, handicapped and, and learning disability uh, kids. That you know it's just it's a great place. No, no, I couldn't agree more. I think that participation part of rugby often gets overlooked. I think it's a, a massive thing that we can improve on and uh, clubs like yourselves and, and other clubs we're speaking to, that, that's a, a big part of what they're doing and I think it's just great for the game and that's where we'll, we'll get growth, not just the top level but more you know, community interaction and engagement. It's fantastic, Paul. Thank you so much for coming, coming on. We could, have had, we, we could have done this for another half an hour but we've got a, a time limit. Um, thank you so much and uh, hope we can get you on again sometime. Absolute pleasure and, uh, yeah, I'd love to. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Big thank you today to John Brass and, of course, Paul French, who has just been made a life member of the Brothers Club. And thank you to our sponsors, Spartan Sports, and our fantastic producer, Mr Dan McHugh. Matt, we'll see you next week. See you, mate. Thanks, Tim.